Welcome to the Italian Wine Podcast. This episode has been brought to you by the Wine to Wine Business Forum 2022. This year will mark the ninth edition of the forum to be held on November 7th and 8th of 2022 in Verona, Italy. This year will be an exclusively in-person edition. The main theme of the event will be all-round wine communication. Tickets are on sale now, so for more information, please visit us at winetowine.net. Welcome to this special Italian wine podcast broadcast. This episode is a recording off Clubhouse, the popular drop-in audio chat. This Clubhouse session was taken from the Wine Business Club and Italian Wine Club. Listen in as wine lovers and experts alike engage in some great conversation on a range of topics in wine. If you enjoy listening, please consider donating through italianwinepodcast.com. Any amount helps cover equipment, production, and publication costs. And remember to subscribe and rate our show wherever you tune in. Welcome to Ambassador's Corner. My name is Joy Livingston and um, I'm stepping in for Stevie Kim. Uh, Stevie has jetted off to New York, so she's on a plane right now. So <laughs> I'm, I'm just going to I'm going to pretend to be Stevie for a bit. So tonight on Ambassador's Corner is uh, Eggie Bowdon. I hope I said that okay. Uh, interviewing Francesca Acornero. And let's see here. Peggy, are you there? Hi, Joy. How are you? I- I'm good. How are you? Yeah, great. Yeah, nice to be here. Nice to talk to you today. I don't know if I've ever talked to you. Uh, no, I've heard your voice a lot because you did the uh, the wine maps, right? Oh, the, the... right. Oh, poor you. Yeah. Oh. No, no, it was fun. Actually, you have a you have a really very very crisp voice on those recordings. So that that book is actually coming out soon, and the links to all of the um, the wine maps that are recorded on the podcast are also added there. If anybody's interested, they're really, really cool. Anyway, uh, so yeah, I, I remember your voice clearly. Oh my gosh, that's hilarious. I'd forgotten. Uh, yeah, it's lovely <laughs> to meet you in your voice. <laughs> uh, well, I, I do know that you're in Eastern, Western Canada. You look, you're in Vancouver, right? Victoria, just west of Vancouver on an island, mm-hmm. Vancouver Island, very west coast of oh. Canada. Okay, no, I know it well. I used to live in Vancouver oh. in Coquitlam, so for many, many years. Wow. Oh. Uh, yeah. Hi, neighbor. Hi, neighbor. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I went east eventually, but yeah, Vancouver is really nice. Um, so yeah, I was uh, looking at your, your I was going to introduce you here, and, it, and you know, I, I see that you, you took some time off having two kids, and then you, because um, you were teaching before, what were you teaching? I was a classroom teacher. I was just a high school, middle school teacher teaching English, communication skills, um, things like that. And um, but I grew up in the in the food and wine industry, and then anyway, left teaching and well had a baby, and um, and then had another baby, and then just teaching what the schedule didn't actually work with having a family. So I rejoined the industry. And here I am. 
Yeah, no, I said you you were you tried uh, bartending just to to sort of get the you know get the 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 work in in the evenings, but then you fell in love with wine and now you're doing wine. So that's yeah, no, it's it's great. I uh, I just didn't want to miss anything. <laughs> if there's anything I'm I'm missing um, on your your intro, I just um, before I I ask you your questions. Um, so. Peggy, why did you select Francesca Acornero as your favorite producer? Ah, yeah, I, I'm so excited to talk to Francesca today. So, uh, yes, I'm very interested in wine, as you mentioned. So I'm obsessed with it, really. I study it all the time. And I've always been intrigued by Grignolino. And um, I've been interested because the description of the grape is so different from the history of Grignolino that I've read about. So it's just the grape is described as, um, you know, high acid, high tannin, uh, very difficult to grow, very difficult to vinify with these extra pips that are in the grape, very little juice yield, but off a high yielding vine. Um, Just sounds like a real challenge to get uh, lovely wine from this grape. But you read about the history of Grignolino and it having this really celebrated history um, way back into the 13th century, actually, in Piemonte. And then, you know, having um, having really been grown quite widely in Piemonte. And then now there's this very little, very little area dedicated to Grignolino. Um, and I've tried... so. Being in this tiny market here in Victoria, I have never tried Grignolino, never seen it. And then one bottle came up in our market and I tried it and it was a really, really kind of challenging wine. It made me think about, you know, this grape and the, and the acidity, the, the pips, um, because it was, it was, um, there was an astringency that was really quite challenging to this wine. So I thought, that okay that solves the the puzzle for Grignolino for me but then I saw Acornero's wine come up on our market and I grabbed it right away and it was such a revelation this wine made me realize why this grape has this storied history and it just it just all came alive to me when when everything you read comes to life in a glass it's kind of this (laughs) really geeky epiphany that is so wonderful and I was so curious about how they managed to achieve this. And um, uh, and now I get to ask her. So how exciting is that? <laughs> <laughs> no, that's cool. And actually, you sort of um, anticipated the question I was going to ask was, how did you discover the wine? So yeah. you, you came upon it one day in a store, but... Um, so I guess my my next question would be what what are the learning objectives like you've already sort of touched on that but what mm. what would you like the audience to learn from the interview Yeah um I'm really uh interested in two basic objectives um well uh Francesca they at Acornero they make a wide range of wines but I really am curious about Grignolino today so I'm hoping she's okay with just talking about that uh, it just and then touching on the other ones, of course, um, of course, curious about that too. But the two main objectives um, involve, uh, firstly, the grape Grignolino. That um, if she can talk about those challenges in the vineyard and in the 
in the um, winery as well and how they managed to overcome those um, to make this beautiful wine. And then the second objective really, uh, really involves the marketing of this wine. So I'm wondering about the challenges marketing, um, of marketing a lesser known grape like Grignolino to a market like uh, the one I live in, uh, in North America here. So, um, you know, how, how challenging is it to reach people in uh, markets like us? And then also with marketing, um, how challenging is it to enter a monopoly system? like the government monopoly that um, uh, really controls imports here where I live. So, so basically, yeah, just uh, looking at those two, just simple <laughs> learning objectives. No, that's awesome. No, the perfect. Okay. Yeah, no. Um, so I guess my, my next thing here is Francesca, are you there? Hi, Joy. Nice to meet you. It's a pleasure Lovely. for me to meet you. Lovely to meet you too. So now that you're both there, I'm going to mute myself and come back after. Yeah, there might be a question or two um, and uh, if we have time. And go ahead, take it away, Peggy. Thanks, Joy. Ciao, Francesca. Oh, this is so Hi, lovely. Peggy. How are you? Oh, what great. How are you doing? Uh, I'm fine, thanks. I'm, I'm fine. We, finish, we finally finished the harvest. That was very soon this year. We finished uh, two weeks ago, and now we have a lot of job in in the cellar. But it's okay. We like uh, a lot. Oh, our our job, our passion. Oh, well, I could tell by your wine, but um, I'm so thankful you took the time to talk to us today. Um, and I realize, yeah, this is very busy. Even to message you, I felt guilty every time taking you away from your work. Um, but I'm so happy to introduce you. You represent the sixth generation of winemakers of Acornero, and your family, um, your family's winery is located in the, the beautiful commune of Vignale Monferrato in the province of Alessandria, between the, I'm going to butcher this, Tanaro River, or Tanaro, sorry, yeah. I don't know which it is. <laughs> Tanaro, Tanaro. Tanaro, thank you. And the yeah. Um, and uh, you're farming over 30 hectares of land, I see, and produce a range of wines from Malvasia di Casorso, Fresa, Barbera, and others, which, of course, include Grignolino. Um, Francesca and her family, everybody, have been very successful with this difficult grape. It's described as an anarchist grape by Luigi Veronelli. <laughs> so Acronero's work with Grignolino has obviously solved the puzzle of this difficult grape. Ian Degada describes Acornero's Brico del Bosco Grignolino as a, quote, spectacular wine that showcases the variety's many charms. It is refined, lifted, and perfumed, or in a word, beautiful. It is light on its feet, but penetratingly precise, exactly what a Grignolino should be about. So I love this description by um, Degada of your Brico del Bosco. It describes the wine's levity for me. It reminds me of why we should love refined wines and these wines with finesse that we sometimes forget about. And I love this wine and can't wait to talk about this wine and the process with you, the lovely Francesca Acornero. <laughs> so thank you for, for doing this. Um, I'll start with my first question. Can you talk about where you're located then in Monferrato, about 
you know, and the, um, and the area that you farm and, and um, where these plots are located? Yeah, uh, thank you, Peggy, for your beautiful words about uh, Grignolino and uh, about us. It's a pleasure for me to be part of this uh, room today. And uh, yeah, we live um, in uh, Vignale Monferrato, that is a beautiful village in Monferrato, of Grignolino, because uh, find uh, on our territory the best condition to produce a very high quality Grignolino. Vignale is in the Casalese area, that uh, in terms of history, is the oldest territory where is documented Grignolino. In fact, the first written document uh, in which Grignolino is mentioned is a deed of rent dated 1249, transcribed by the monks of the Church of Casale Monferrato. So uh, Casalese area is uh, the oldest territory of Grignolino. And uh, we have, uh, as, I, as um, you say, an historical cellar in Vignale that my family bought in 1897. And uh, yeah, I represent the sixth generation now. Um, we have uh, 30 hectares and we cultivate mainly Barbera and Grignolino, that are the two most important grapes. But we also cultivate Freisa, uh, Rouquet. We also cultivate Malvasia di Casorzo, Nebbiolo, and also little productions of uh, Chardonnay, Cabernet Sauvignon, in uh, little productions, but the main grapes are Barbera and Grignolino, our um, uh, prince of uh, Monferrato. Wow, that's uh, that's so lovely. I love the description. This the um, the description of this being the oldest territory for Grignolino is so uh, really clears up a lot of questions for me about the history. This is so interesting. Um, so. In your thirty hectares of of um, area, of course, some some of it is for Grignolino. Can you talk about the percentage of that thirty hectares? That how much of that area is actually dedicated to Grignolino? Yeah, um, we have uh, thirty hectares, of uh, which uh, uh, twenty uh, are dedicated to um, Barbera, and ten are uh, around. Uh, uh, ten are dedicated to the other varieties. In particular, uh, five are dedicated to um, Grignolino, five yeah. hectares. Thank you. That's lovely. And so I'm curious about the expression of Grignolino according to where it's grown. I seem to, to it looked like there were separate plots for Grignolino. And I'm curious if it, the expression of the grape varies depending on those different plots due to maybe soil or exposure or even altitude. Can you talk yes, about that? Yes. Um, um, we have uh, in uh, Monferrato, in Vignale Monferrato, we are around uh, 300 meters of altitude. And uh, we have uh, especially uh, limestone soils, uh, very particular, uh, that uh, gives uh, uh, the characteristic spicy nuance to Grignolino. Oh. And um, uh, in particular, uh, the, the Casalese area is also known uh, for having a very particular terroir that is called the Pietra da Cantone, that is a very pregiate terroir that the winemakers choose only to cultivate the most noble varieties like Grignolino. 
And um, I don't know if you have ever heard about uh, the Pietra da Cantone, but it's uh, our traditional stone of which the Infernot are made. Oh. Infernot are um, the underground rooms of Monferrato, underground cellars, where in the past uh, they were used for the preservation of wines and food. And um, that uh, were dug in the early 19. And um, uh, thanks to the Infernot, the, the Monferrato area in uh, 2014 have included Monferrato in the UNESCO World Heritage. That is Sorry, so great. That is so yeah. amazing. And, and rightly so. So I had not actually heard this word. So the Infernato, uh, I'd, I'd of course read about that, but can you tell us very slowly um, the word for the, the specific word describing this terroir? Pietra and I guess. Pietra da Cantone is a, a particular limestone that we have in Monferrato. I love it. It's okay. the most typical terroir. Wow, that, that's lovely to uh, get all this juicy information. Thanks. Um, um, and I've also read, if um, if you could talk about this, Vignale uh, Monferrato um, being regarded as a, a Grand Cru site for Grignolino. So is this is this linked? Because like, can you um, uh, just solve this problem? Is is it linked to the terroir and also the history? Is this is this the reason for it being regarded as this Grand Cru? It's, um, or is it, um, is it for some other reason? Yeah, uh, Vignale um, uh, at first uh, is the oldest uh, uh, Vignale area. So the Casales area, as I told you, is the oldest uh, territory for Grignolino. And in specific, Vignale is a Grand Cru area because we are in um, uh, the vein of uh, Chao, uh, is the translation, la, la vena del gesso in, Ita in Italian. That is a very unique subsoil uh, where we have uh, this uh, particular fossil sandstone mars with um, um, uh, uh, that they have uh, like uh, small holes that are precisely chalk crystals. And this soil is very precious because uh, gives uh, um, de depth and elegance to Grignolino. So um, uh, it's a very unique uh, geological situation that we have uh, only in Vignale. So it's uh, the reason why we have uh, this um, uh, unique Grignolino in Vignale. And also uh, is, um, in the Casalesi area is uh, the most uh, cultivated vineyard area. We are in around 15 producers in uh, the area of Vignale. That uh, uh, is a, a quite uh, good uh, number of uh, wineries mm -hmm. for, uh, for Grignolino. Wow. And is this, um, do you predict, I wonder if you can make a prediction for us. Do you predict um, perhaps more vineyard area dedicated to Grignolino in the future or perhaps just status quo staying the same or or even um, not not as much uh, land dedicated to Grignolino in the future. What are your predictions for that? Yeah, um, Grignolino is a very indigenous grape. So it a, has a lot of connection to the territory the original territory. 
So um, probably granolino, uh, in my opinion, will improve uh, in the in the future. I hope, mm-hmm. but in uh, his uh, uh, original territory, so Casalese and Astigiano, we have these two main uh, uh, Monferrato areas: the Casalese, where the capital is Vignale, and also the Astigiano area, where the capital is Porta Comaro. These are these, the two main uh, areas for Grignolino. Two completely different uh, Grignolino, but um, the, the most important uh, areas. So, so uh, probably the Grignolino, I hope that, I hope that uh, he will increase in his territory. I hope so too. <laughs> yeah. For my selfish reasons. Um, can you talk about also the growing of Grignolino? We've um, we have information about it being, you know, so challenging because it's susceptible to disease and also the, the yields. Um, could you talk about that for us? Yeah, um, Grignolino is uh, yes, is a very um, um, very challenging uh, uh, grape because. Uh, is a delicate and um, is a delicate grape that uh, um, the producer needs to take care more uh, than the others. Uh, in particular, the uh, Grignolino, uh, as the Nebbiolo, for example, is uh, very sensitive to the uh, powdery mildew that is a fungal disease. I don't know if you've ever heard about that. In Italian, it's called oidio that we treat uh, with um, uh, sulfur treatments and also is uh, very delicate uh, with the botrite. So we prevent uh, the botrite by airing the bunches very well and making pre-harvest selections. So um, before the harvest, uh, we um, uh, we pass every bunches to uh, only select the best uh, grapes. Wow, I had and no to also to to air better the the vineyards. That's so interesting. So it's the labor required to grow Grignolino is sounds extraordinary. Um, I didn't realize the the um, botrytis um, that it's uh, susceptible to that. So so the um, so there's green harvesting, um, and the the. Um, I've read somewhere also that there is um, possible asynchronous year, um, ripening where where maybe some grapes on the bunch are fully ripe while others are not quite ripe. Is this a challenge or does this seem with the green harvesting, does this seem to mitigate or to, um, to help that uh, the grapes actually ripen evenly because of that work? Yeah, um, uh, one uh, the thing that I want to to tell first is that uh, Grignolino uh, needs specific uh, uh, places places to be cultivated. Uh, he needs uh, well exposed uh, places. So probably, uh, if you choose not the right place, you can have problems with the maturation of the grapes. We have um, uh, a, a vineyard of Grignolino that is called Bricco del Bosco, that is in uh, the southeast position. So southeast is the best to choose because uh, is a windy and um, is a windy place, 
and so uh, is the best uh, if you uh, want to plant grignolino. Um, so uh, if um, the grignolino grows in the right areas, so well exposed, uh, has a problem with the, the maturation, so as an homogeneous maturation. Uh, if uh, it's not cultivated in the right places, so, so for example, in the north hills, uh, so not uh, so sunny or so windy, you can have problems. Mm, I see. That it sounds like it is so finicky, this grape. So you happen to have... Yeah, it's very this... difficult. Uh, you have to choose well uh, um, the place. It's very important. I'm we so have glad. a unique parcel of five hectares, in Bricco del Bosco, that is this uh, very, um, very well exposed hill, uh, is a Bricco that in the Piemont dialect means uh, the top of the hill. So it's a very, a very high um, altitude, so windy place, uh, and is the best for Grignolino. Usually the Bricco, uh, so the highest positions are. Uh, um, dedicated for Grignolino, of course, because it's the most noble grape. So the best, uh, um, the best exposition are dedicated for Grignolino. Oh, so glad! <laughs> I had no idea. Yeah, it, had, uh, it really required this uh, very, very careful um, site selection, um, and that it's it, it is so challenging to grow on other sites. So I'm so glad it it is given this honorary status because I think um oh I just love Emilino if that isn't uh, isn't apparent already so in the in the winery you um you you take these precious grapes and um and for vinifying this uh this wine can you talk about um this process because that's a whole new set of challenges there's um you know, temperature for fermentation. Um, I'm curious about um, how you, what your choices are with fermentation, the temperature, the vessel, and also the maceration method. I think I'm most curious about this, just having read about these extra pips, um, these extra seeds in the grape and how, how you have to be careful to manage that. I'm wondering if you can talk about this, um, this, uh, this aspect of making, making granulina wine. Yes, sure. Um, so the most important thing is that uh, um, um, the Grignolino being a, a grape poor of uh, anthocyanins, uh, so, um, uh, but with a good presence of pips, so of tannins given by the grape seeds, uh, you must um, start the harvest from a completely ripe grapes. It's very important. So uh, we um, don't, we before we uh, make analysis of the maturation, not only the phenolic maturation, but also the um, uh, seeds maturation. That is the most important for Grignolino, um, because we want to have uh, completely uh, ripe grapes. Is the first most important thing. Then, uh, uh, for the vinification of uh, the classic Grignolino, Bricco del Bosco, uh, the temperature of fermentation is around uh, 26 degrees. Then uh, uh, we make um, the lestage on the first days. 
And then uh, usually we make uh, short macerations, so of around uh, one week, uh, with soft pumping over, because um, Grignolino is a very delicate wine, and uh, so uh, you don't have you uh, have to do soft pumping over and not so uh, long macerations, not to extract uh, too much tannin, so to have a balanced wine. Ah, uh, that's so interesting. And, yeah, so this is uh, um, for the classic Grignolino Bricco del Bosco. We use um, uh, steel tanks for uh, the vinification, and usually we bottle the wine in the first months of the years, so in January, February, uh, after the harvest. That's so, uh, that's so interesting. I wonder if I could ask a follow-up question. How do you test the um, maturation? Um, how do you how do you determine when there is that phenolic ripeness, especially in the seeds that you mentioned, which is so interesting? Do you do you use laboratory analysis? But do you also use do you also look at the seeds and bite the seeds? Are you enjoying this podcast? There is so much more high-quality wine content available from Mama Jumbo Shrimp. Check out our new wine study maps, our books on Italian wine, including Italian Wine Unplugged, The Jumbo Shrimp Guide to Italian Wine, Sangiovese Lambrusco, and other stories, and much, much more on our website, mamajumboshrimp.com. Now back to the show. Yes, we collaborate uh, with uh, uh, an external uh, enologist that has his own uh, laboratory. And uh, every day, during and before the harvest, uh, we make uh, exams of the grapes. And we um, we harvest uh, only when the grapes are completely ripe. Mm-hmm. And it's very important, especially for Grignolino, but also for the other, for all the grapes, but in particular for the Grignolino. Also to avoid uh, the bitterness of the wine, because if you if you um, harvest uh, too early, uh, the wine is not so balanced, uh, and you can have uh, a bitter sensation that is not uh, uh, so good. So and- is. Uh, the characteristic that uh, uh, shows uh, uh, a too early harvest. Right, uh, which I may have tasted in that first bottle. I'm wondering about the time of harvest then. You obviously have to be so careful to um, pick only only completely ripe grapes. And you were mentioning harvest was finished uh, two weeks ago. Is this, um, is this different this year than previous years for the harvest of green lino? Yeah, this year was particularly strange because um, uh, we had a very, very dry season. Summer season was completely dry. We haven't uh, uh, rain during uh, the whole summer, but we also had uh, a very dry winter. So um, uh, it was a, a very uh, strange harvest. It's a comp- for us, a completely new uh, experience of harvest. We start uh, at um, in uh, the twenty uh, eighth of August, so very very soon. Usually we start uh, in the middle of September, so around uh, fifteen or twenty days earlier than the normal. 
um, because of uh, this very dry season. I don't know in Canada, but in uh, Italy and in general Europe, uh, was a very dry summer and also very hot. So the uh, of course uh, the harvest goes very fast, also the maturation, and we we had to to harvest uh, very soon this year. Yeah. So in general it was a strange harvest but usually in a normal situation we harvest in the middle of september um yes we do we do get news of of the drought happening especially in northern italy and very unfortunate photos of of the repercussions of that and um it's yeah i'm sorry to hear it's it's so difficult and i i hope for rain and a wet plunge the water reserve. We hope so much for rain yeah. as no. Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully we had our first rain mm-hmm. today for months, but we are not in the middle of a three year drought. Like, like I wonder if you're, you're on, you're, it's the drought this summer and the previous winter has been compounded by dry years previous to that, which is, um, just makes that even, even more dire. So we'll do the rain dance here for you. Um, and I wonder... Yeah, I, we hope so much. Yeah, I hope so. Um, Francesca, you talked about the anthocyanins um, that Grignolino is, I think you said, poor of anthocyanins. And uh, yeah. for me, I am very curious about this because I love wines with um, grace and finesse like your Brico del Bosco. Um, but I'm curious how other winemakers might view this, um, you know, this absence or this lower uh, level of anthocyanins or type of anthocyanins that might be more, um, I don't know, more acceptable, I guess, in in foreign markets. So um, is this something that winemakers think about um, when um, vinifying Grignolino with the um, the you know lighter, much lighter color of the wine that will result, um, given the the type of anthocyanins and the level, but also given the shorter maceration that you must do in order to preserve this um, beautiful you know wine texture and flavors. Um, is this something in the back of winemakers' minds that oh this is a light colored wine and this might be a challenge to export is this something you think about uh, no i think uh, that um, the light color is not a problem uh, if you think uh, also pinot noir of bourgogne also the nerbiolo are not uh, deeply colored wine but um, they are drank uh, all over the world so in reality the light color is not um, uh, a problem i think is one of its best um, uh, features because it gives identity to the wine. The color of, of Grignolino is unique, is a ruby color, r- really unique that you can find uh, only on the Grignolino. And so is uh, for, uh, for me is uh, a plus, is um, one of the best uh, features of, uh, of Grignolino. Oh, I love that. Because it's a, unique, uh, it's a unique wine. So yeah. um, I love, uh, we, I love so much his color, and I think that uh, is not a problem. 
Uh, in general, we had uh, we had never we had never have the problems uh, when we pre- when we showed granulino. We we never had problems with that. Oh, that's so wonderful. And also, if you go um, beyond uh, the color, you feel the elegance of the wine, uh, the spicy, the mineral. So, uh, in reality, uh, the color is a. Uh, uh, Yes, is uh, the identity an, uh, an identity of the wine, but also his um, elegant structure. I love I love the way you describe this. I love the way that you're in its corner because um, uh, I pour wine for a living, and I I find myself night after night having to sometimes. Um, apologize for elegant wines strangely but i uh, i love i love the way you say it gives it its identity i feel like um you're inspiring me to own this in a different way rather than excuse or um tell people oh um you know explain explain the anthocyanins or explain the wine i feel like um your answer is very inspiring to just own it and say this is its identity and just and um you know be more celebratory of it uh, and i'm so glad uh that um that is never a problem um i really wish for more green and you know, in our market so so perhaps your approach is going to be helpful with this um yeah i'm curious about so you uh I, so I have tried the the this classic style that you're talking about, the Pico del Bosco, um, but I have read about the Vigna Vecchia, and I'm probably butchering that name. Yes, um, yes, of course, Vigna Vecchia, Pico del Bosco, Vigna Vecchia. Yeah, yes, and um, so I've only read about this wine because we have not uh, our um, our government has not brought that in. So. Um, I've read that this style has recently been resurrected um, as a traditional style from 200 years ago called Grignolino Storico. And so, exactly. yeah, um, so I'm curious about this, if um, like about this history and also if the um, the vinification of this wine is made in in response to this or in honor of this. Yes, um, um, Grignolino. Yes, we have um, these two um, selections of Grignolino, Bricco del Bosco and the Bricco del Bosco Vigna Vecchia, that is our uh, reserve of Grignolino. And uh, yeah, the style of uh, uh, winemaking is inspired by the most traditional method because uh, in the past, especially in the early 20th century, Grignolino was a very precious uh, Piemont wine, uh, equal to Barolo and Barbaresco, and was the wine uh, that in Monferrato was the most vocated to be an excellent aging wine, especially for his uh, tannic structure. So um, uh, our winery wants to uh, um, remake uh, this uh, old tradition style Grignolino. So um, uh, in 2006, uh, where, where we start to produce this um, selection, Bricco del Bosco Vigna Vecchia, we select uh, our oldest parcel of uh, Bricco del Bosco, that is a vineyard of 61. And um, from here, we start uh, um, uh, um, to make a mass selection 
of his very old original clone because um, the, uh, the the clone of this old parcel has um, uh, has no more uh, available because it's a very old clone of Grignolino. We uh, remake this old vineyard to produce uh, our uh, Brico del Bosco Vigne Vecchie Reserva. Uh, it's a production of uh, around only 4,500 bottles. And uh, we uh, rest the wine uh, 30 months in tonneau barrels and uh, 24 months of aging in bottle. It's um, very difficult also to find uh, because we have a very, very limited production of this Grignolino. So, uh, for example, the Grignolino Brico del Bosco, we make around uh, uh, 20,000 bottles. Of this, uh, only 4,500. Uh, 4, so, it's more uh, difficult to find also uh, abroad because we have uh, very, very, very little production. But um, uh, I hope that you will uh, find also uh, our Grignolino. Oh, Vecchia, I, I'm, so, I'm so curious about this wine. I've read um, uh, a quote about it saying, um, uh, so this is from, uh, again, Ian Degata. He says, a coronero is a producer who manages to oak Grignolino splendidly, and their Rico del Bosco Vigna Vecchia is a work of art, but not everyone in the denomination is as gifted. So I love, when I read things like this, <laughs> just, I'm ready to drop everything and travel and find this wine. Um, it's so interesting also that you, not only are you reviving this, um, this old style in this, the oldest traditional area, I had no idea that you are doing massa selection for the oldest clones as well. So it's it's this beautiful um, coming together of tradition in this bottle. I, I'm dying to try this wine. Um, so I will be doing my research as soon as I finish this and see where to get it. In Canada, um, it's, it's very difficult to, um, to find wines. I can't... The... Uh, I hope to ask you about this later on, but anyway, it's very difficult to just, um, you know, bring wines in. We're, we're actually uh, prevented from doing so. So I have to go and get, go myself, which will be okay. <laughs> okay. But yeah, I, I know. Yeah. Uh, so Francesca, I have a very important question. Okay. Yeah. I saw a great photo of you. You were pouring wines. And you had this uh, red T-shirt on, and it said in big letters, Grignolino Girl, right across the front. And I've been needing to ask this question for some time. I think this is the pivotal question, everybody in the audience. Yeah, I know, I know, I know. That we need to know, where can I get a T-shirt like this? <laughs> uh, I know, I know. It's very nice, but I think that uh, you can find it in Canada because... Uh, um, we wear this T-shirt, uh, very nice, uh, Grignolino Girl uh, for uh, the uh, women producers and Grignolino Boy for the men producers for uh, um, a special event that was um, uh, a tasting of uh, only Grignolino we, with the most uh, Grignolino producers of Monferrato. And so we decided to... Um, uh, to wear this uh, very nice teacher all together. So it was a very nice uh, event that we made uh, uh, last summer 
Unfortunately, I think that is not uh, available in Canada. But um, uh, also when I show my Grignolino, oh, because uh, I is my favorite wine. So oh, well, I I think if determined, yeah. <laughs> it is. Uh, uh, I dream about this wine. So I I dream about. I think I'm gonna have to resurrect. I'm gonna have to create a Grignolino club here and get t-shirts modeled after yours but um but now I have yeah, a yeah it's very plan. nice idea <laughs> i have a new travel plan i think i'm gonna have to um come visit during these um this special tasting of only grignolino in manferrato um that sounds amazing as well so it sounds like you have a tight community that is um that kind of rallies around this grape do you feel like um like i'm just so curious because this other wine that I tried is so different from the wines you produce. And of course you, you have solved this puzzle of this grape um, to make these beautiful wines. Um, do you, do you have a solid community of growers that, that rallies around this grape? And is this, is this something that is mm, more meaningful than just making a wine, exporting or selling the wines? Is, does this grape represent something deeper for you as producers? Uh, sorry, Peggy, I asked you to repeat uh, uh, because I don't understand completely the answer. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, I didn't. I didn't write this one out for the you. The question. I'm, sorry. I'm curious if the community of growers in Monferrato. Um, yeah. Okay. Um, are if if Grignolino symbolizes something deeper, if it is. If it's important, like um, at a different level than, say, other wines that that people make, if it if it is something that's more special. Uh, yes, of course. Um, for um, uh, for us, for uh, uh, the Monferrato growers, Monferrato winemakers, the Grignolino is our identity. Because um, um, it represents uh, the identity of our territory, so it's the most noble and um, indigenous grape of Monferrato, and uh, I think that is uh, the best ambassador of our uh, of our territory, Monferrato. So, um, in uh, first of all, the Grignolina, I think that is. Uh, um, the best to 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 understand our territory is uh, it has all the characteristics that uh, uh, that shows uh, our soils our uh, beautiful um, uh, territory but, so in my um, opinion then also barbera is very important in our territory mm, i mm. don't know if you have ever um, uh, taste uh, uh, some Barbera of Monferrato that is uh, uh, with the Grignolino the most important variety because are the two that represents a lot our uh, history, our territory so uh, we uh, we want to um, to present them at the same level they are uh, our uh, most important grapes that's so interesting Can can you talk about the um uh so i've read 
um, I've read a little bit about Barbara and um, Green Olino doing a little flip in history. And I see it, it is so, Barbara is so, um, uh, I feel like it is, um, it's more well known, I think, in my market here. Um, but I'm curious about this, this flip in history that I've read about. Um, I've read that in the 13th century, you're, you're quoting that document in 1249, I think you mentioned, um, um, during that time, Grignolino was reserved for just the noble people and uh, Barbera was, um, was, only available, was the only wine available for the peasants, which is so interesting. And, I, uh, and I'm curious about, um, I guess, um, why that flip has it's not really a flip because Grignolino is of course the highly coveted wine that represents your identity here. But why, how has Barbera come back to um, gain equal footing with Grignolino and, and many other grapes in, um, and become a noble grape in Piemonte? Yeah, um, it is right because um, Barbera in the past was, has not the same um, importance that has now. Barbera was uh, the daily wine, so that um, that people drink for every day. Very um, uh, good um, daily wine for um, you know uh, the uh, for all the people. So it was um, uh, the most cultivated, like also today, because uh, Barbera um, is a, a more um, has a more. Um, uh, is a more quantity grape. So in a vineyard of Barbera, you can have uh, uh, bigger yields also between two, two Grignolino. So it was um, the most cultivated grape and is not uh, such difficult like uh, Grignolino. So you can have very high quality uh, Barbera in different uh, terroir expositions. So... Um, for example, uh, you can uh, choose for Barbera uh, South Exposition, but also East Exposition. Uh, you can choose uh, limestone, but also clay. That uh, in Monferrato is uh, is the second most important terroir. So you can have a more more choice. On Grignolino, you have to follow his laws. So you need uh, to follow specific conditions if you want to a high quality wine. Barbera is um, uh, is, is an easier to is an easier um, is is easier to vinify and also to cultivate. So is the first uh, uh, in terms of quantity. Um, in the past, uh, as um, uh, was the classic daily wine, but uh, with the, the study, with the the, uh, the knowledge also of the new generations of winemakers. Uh, uh, the Monferrato, but also all over Piemont, uh, producers they discover the high potential of Barbera. So Barbera can is not um, uh, only a daily wine, but you can also have a very um, high quality wines, also very long lasting wines with the very important structures. Um, so. Um, but is a new, uh, in reality, a new di discover for Barbera. Is a 
Barbera in the past was the daily wine, now uh, has his very his importance. Uh, but is a new discover. That's so I love the description yeah. of this of the um of the meaning of these wines is so helpful to people like us um wanting to clarify the history. Um it just helps us understand this the your explanation is fantastic. Um and I'll ask just a I know you said that there's um uh twenty hectares earlier in the interview you mentioned twenty hectares. Um, yeah, devoted to Barbera, and I know Stevie would ask this question. She's not here today, so how? What is the volume of production for Barbera from uh, for you? Yeah, uh, for Barbera in total, we have five different selections, okay. so um, uh, a quite good uh, amount, and uh, in total, we produce around. Uh, uh, the half of our production, so uh, 60,000 bottles of Barbera. Oh, great. And then, so that's In total. Um, that's so lovely. Yeah. And I, I see that I'm kind of getting a little short of time. Can I talk about the the um, marketing of uh, Grignolino? Um, and maybe the, the talk about Barbera is so helpful because it's uh, more well-known um, grape and wine here in, in North America. Um, I'm curious, um, I guess, uh, I'll ask first, um, about the challenges of entering this specific market. So I found your wine, the Brico del Bosco, the classic, um, one yeah. here on our government, uh, liquor store shelves. So I live in, in Victoria, as I mentioned, it's in the province of British Columbia and it is a very big area. Um, and it is controlled by our government, um, a government body, the BCLDB, and they control yeah. that enter our entire province. So it means that everything I see has been, any wine in a restaurant on a shelf has come through them. So I'm curious, um, I've heard it's notoriously difficult to enter this market can you talk about how this how you magically brought your wines to us um through this process yeah okay so um, first of all um, i want to say that um, in recent years uh, the the interest uh, in native grape in native grapes like grignolino has grown a lot and um, in uh, um, our case for example, in November 2020, we had the pleasure to welcome uh, in our winery the journalist uh, Michaela Morris uh, oh. of uh, Vancouver. She is uh, a very, um, uh, very important international wine writer that collaborates also with the Cantor. Probably you know her. Yeah. And uh, she visited us uh, uh, in November 2020 uh, because uh, she was in uh, Piemont. And she write an article in the counter for us and insert uh, our um, Grignolino, Brico del Bosco Vigne Vecchie, the Reserva, on uh, her top fine wines of uh, 2020. So um, for us, it uh, was um, such a, an important uh, um, recognition for us. And uh, after that, uh, we have been contacted uh, by our actual distributor in British Columbia. 
that is uh, Yannick Treffot. He has the company Cruter War Wine and Spirits. And there she follows our market. So uh, she, he, uh, she, sorry, he was able to, um, to enter in the monopoly of uh, British Columbia. So this is uh, so what we made. That's so lovely. So that, that um, your distributor did a lot of that footwork. But it all stemmed from Michaela Morris's um, visit and then the, the article. I'd also seen her in, um, um, there was a panel discussion that I, and it, this was through one of the VIA materials. Um, and gosh, and I, I can't remember exactly which one, but I remember um, hearing her on the panel um, um, really, really kind of um, champion the great. And I actually messaged her and just asking if she knew where this video was located so that I could watch again in preparation for our chat, but she, uh, she couldn't find it or remember where, where it was or for what occasion. So that was unfortunate, but I sadly missed this um, article. I'm going to check this out. And um, yeah, yeah. You, you probably will, uh, will still find you, you will still find the article in uh, the counter. That's great. So I will also, I'm really happy to hear who your distributor is so I can contact them because um, um, sadly, I've, I've bought all your wine, so there's none left on our shelf. And uh, it's very challenging to talk to actually a, a person about, you know, are these wines going to be, are these wines going to return for us next year? And, and um, I'm going to, now I know the source, I'm going to, I am on it. I'm your... Uh, I'm on the ground for this because I don't know what I'm going to do next year if, if I can't find your wine. <laughs> um, uh, so I'm, I'm just so happy to, to hear about, um, hear all about Grignolino. Um, I wonder if I can ask one more question. Um, yes, of course. When, okay. When you're drinking Grignolino, I guess the classic, what are you going to eat with it? Ah yes, um, yeah, Grignolino. Uh, in my opinion, um, you can blend with many dishes, but my favorite co- favorite combinations are uh, with, uh, for example, the tartare of Fassona, uh, Piemontese. Uh, in my opinion, also with fish is very interesting, and also with uh, roast rabbit, for example, is very nice. So, but you can have a lot of combinations with Grignolino. I think so. Uh, so it's a very uh, versatile uh, wine to I, to drink with many dishes. I think so too. I um, I would often it I would often be amazed when um, uh, when there's uh, foods that are difficult to match with wine. I think, oh, I'm gonna get the Grignolino, and every time it is wonderful i think it's the earthiness the slight earthiness and that spice you spoke about um the the limestone perhaps um accentuating that spice that slight white pepper which which i love it's uh the wine is incredible i hope everybody goes out and tries to find it but doesn't buy it all so i don't have any (laughs) (laughs) okay okay yeah i'm so excited thank you very much peggy i learned so much today i am I'm thrilled to have been uh, able to talk to you. Thank you so much for for all your your time and your wonderful knowledge and enthusiasm. I'm so inspired. 
Thank you, Francesca. Thank you, Peggy. I hope to see you one day in person. I, I, I hope so much. I would love to meet you. Joy, thank you so much for, um, for this opportunity. I'm so excited. No, that's wonderful. That was a great conversation. Actually, we have one question for Francesca. We're just about out of time because we have two minutes left. So, um, Francesca, uh, yes, there's uh, a, a question from... Hi, there's a question from Paul Bologna, and he says, my question relates to the vinification of Grignolino. Uh, my yes. first Grignolino that I ever had was about 25 years ago, and the wine I tasted had a copper color and lacked fruitiness. But now I enjoy very balanced, enjoyable Grignolino. What's the difference between then and now, the sight? Okay. Yeah, uh, probably now with the new uh, technologies, with the new knowledge, uh, um, we are able to uh, give uh, higher uh, qualities in all over the uh, the wines. In particular, Grignolino, that is particularly difficult to vinify. So now we are able to make uh, uh, soft pumping over, soft pressing. So uh, now I think that uh, in general, uh, the the quality of Grignolino has improved a lot, especially for uh, the new knowledge and new technologies that we use in the cellar. Okay. Okay. Great. Um, so I, I I guess that's that that's that's a great thank you for very much for that, Paul. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna close the room in a, just a second. Laika, do you know who we have next time for Clubhouse Ambassadors Corner? Hi, so for next week, we're going to have two Clubhouse sessions. So it's going to be um, on October 27th, Thursday, Susanna Gold, um, she's back, and she's going to interview Valeria Radici Odero. And on October 28th, on Friday, um, Joanne Harnish is also back, and she will be interviewing Katarina Sartarelli. So that's it for now, and thank you so much for your time everyone oh, thank, thank you, you to you it was a pleasure thanks thank you thanks. have a wonderful bye bye uh, ciao you too bye bye thank you bye peggy bye bye We hope you enjoyed today's episode brought to you by the Wine to Wine Business Forum 2022. This year will mark the ninth edition of the forum to be held on November 7th and 8th, 2022 in Verona, Italy. Remember, tickets are on sale now. So for more information, please visit us at winetowine.net.
Hi guys, I'm Joy Livingston and I am the producer of the Italian Wine Podcast. Thank you for listening. We are the only wine podcast that has been doing a daily show since the pandemic began. This is a labor of love and we are committed to bringing you free content every day. Of course, this takes time and effort, not to mention the cost of equipment, production, and editing. We would be grateful for your donations, suggestions, requests, and ideas. For more information on how to get in touch, go to italianwinepodcast.com.